Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. And a good Tuesday to you. Hello there. How's it going? Heath Klein in for Chuck Oliver today. But, of course, the college football talk, well, that never stops here on the Chuck Oliver Show. 52 weeks a year we are here for you talking all things CFB, particularly with the focus on what goes on here in the South. But we try to cover everything everywhere that's important to you as a college football fan. Again, we hope you had a great holiday. Kings off the rest of the week. Going to enjoy a little downtime, get ready for the big games coming up. This weekend, uh, going to be calling one of those games. In fact, uh, he's going to have the call on the uh, 680 The Fan broadcast in Atlanta of the Peach Bowl. So got a chance to get his uh, get his feet wet again in the analysis side of things. Hadn't got a chance to do that on a regular basis in a couple of years, but this week he does. So he's getting ready for that. He'll be back with you coming up next week. I've got you the rest of the way for 2023. And... Over the weekend, hopefully you were enjoying time with your family. Maybe you watched some of the games coming on Saturday. They weren't great games top to bottom. Some of them were pretty rough. Some some were all right. But one thing that happened over the weekend that got a friend of mine a little bit worked up. Word came down officially that Trevor Etienne is transferring from Florida to Georgia. Now, the part about transferring from Florida was already known. He put his name into the portal But the second part, that wasn't known for sure. It had been rumored before he ever even put his name in the portal that that was where ETN might be headed, was going to Athens. But again, I got to remind myself, I live in this bubble on a day-to-day basis. When you do what we do here, you've got to pay a lot of attention to every little detail, whereas you've got other people who, ah, you know, they watch the games and if they pick up a five-star recruit or something, they hear about that, but they're not going to know the day-in, day-out stuff the way that we do here on the Chuck Oliver Show and that you do if you're the kind of person who regularly listens, you're more invested than just the random guy at the office who, you know, likes to wear his shirt on game day. And so I heard from a friend, Georgia, Georgia, he's transferring from Florida to Georgia. I couldn't believe it. You don't do that. You don't, you don't do that. You can't do that. That's, that's a hated rivalry. You can't do that. And I pointed out to my friend, well, Florida got Brenton Cox from Georgia a couple years back. 
Yeah, yeah, but they didn't want him. Uh, not sure about that. But regardless, here's the point I try to make to my friend. As the point I guess I would make to you, too, if you are someone who feels that way. In this case, it's a kid from Georgia or from Florida to Georgia. But you've got to realize wherever you're listening to us, whatever show you hear on any given day, sooner or later, there's going to be a day where I say, yeah, there's a kid going from Auburn to Alabama or where Chuck tells you, yeah, there's a kid that's going from Ohio State to Michigan. So whatever your version of that is, as you might have guessed, my friend is a Florida alum. If you can't process that, you're going to have to figure out how. And I guess here's the thing I would say to you. I'm not telling you you have to like it. That's okay. You don't need to like it. But think about yesterday. Think about Christmas. Did you like every single thing, if you're a parent, that your kid asked for for Christmas? Was it for you? Were you into it? Is there a chance that maybe your kid asked for, I don't know, Cardi B sound or something like that? Something, something, you know, a toy that wouldn't have ever been for you even when you were young. You don't think it would have been for you. Or music that just, it's just not for you. But you don't get mad about it, right? You don't say, why can't this kid like the kind of music I liked? Why can't this kid be into Bon Jovi or Duran Duran? What's wrong with him? You wouldn't do that. Kids like what they like. And all through history, what the kids like and what people in their 30s or 40s like are typically not that well synced up. And so we all have to just accept it may not be what you would have chosen. It probably isn't what you would choose. It's probably not what in your era you could imagine happening. But these kids do not see it the way that you and I did. Because they grow up and they go to camps and they know each other. And they communicate with each other in a different way than somebody could communicate. Back when I was in college, it was the era where, hey, you wanted to communicate with a buddy out of town, maybe your girl out of town, whatever it might be. Hey, honey, I can't wait to talk to you at 9.01 once the minutes go free, right? Now, they can communicate to each other constantly, live video streams anytime they want. Social media, every platform you can think of. We've got social media for this show. You can follow us at The Chuck Oliver Show on Twitter. We encourage you to do that. Heck, you can even shoot a thought in on Twitter at The Chuck Oliver Show if you want to. They've got more ways to be in touch. That sense of rivalry that I can't stand those guys. Forget about I don't I don't like those guys. I can't stand those guys. They probably know half the other team and are probably in touch with a decent chunk of them that are guys they like on a regular basis. The idea they're the enemy, you want to beat them if you're playing them on game day. I don't think there's any question that ETN wanted to beat Georgia badly the last couple of years. But are they the enemy? Are they evil? Nah, they don't see it that way. Just a different crew of guys. And we have a climate now where you can do consistently whatever you think is best for you, as coaches have been doing for themselves forever. So... Maybe before you would have said, I can't believe that the coach would go from this program to that program. How could Tommy Tuberville say he's going to leave Oxford in a pine box? And I guess maybe he left it in a pine box in disguise to be carried over to Auburn where he took the job as their head coach. How could they do that? Maybe you got mad about that too. Because in that era, that was where the things that led to this era began. This idea that, hey, you got to do what's best for you. You might have told 85 kids, I'm going to be your coach. 
I'm going to be the person who guides you through your college experience. You're going to be a great fit in my system. But it turns out that somebody else wants me to run that system for more money and maybe even compete directly against you. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the new coach that comes in may not think you're very good and may kick you out of the program. And when they do, you're going to have to sit out a year to transfer, whereas I got to start right away. Hey, man, them's the breaks. Sorry, very sorry. You should have been a grown-up. That's the tone that was set for decades. And so over time... As the combination of these guys being much more used to everybody's kind of friends, this isn't just college. Look at the NBA. Look at all those dudes and the way that guys in the NBA just make plans to team up together. It's not GMs doing it. It's not coaches doing it. It's guys who've been friends since they were playing in the ninth or 10th grade that decide, hey, man, wouldn't it be fun if we all teamed up in Miami or wherever it might be? That's the culture now. It's the culture that they've seen from star athletes. It's the culture that they've seen from coaches for years so you can't get mad at a kid who doesn't understand well I don't mind you transferring but you can't transfer there they don't see it that way they don't see it as they're transferring to the hated rival they see they're transferring to a place that puts guys in the NFL they're transferring to a place where there's an opening that they think they're going to get a certain number of carries in a system that they're confident they know what they're going to get whereas they're not exactly sure what you're going to have at Florida next year And so that's how you wind up with something like that. It's just the reality. Again, I'm not telling you you have to like it. I'm not telling you if I was drawing it up, it's how I'd ask for it to be. But sometimes you have to accept the world as it is. And that's why I was telling my friend, unless you're going to stop following college sports, and he's not, all you're going to do is raise your blood pressure if you get angry when you see stories like this happen. It is going to happen at every school in the country. There will be kids that transfer from Texas to Texas A&M, from Bama to Auburn and vice versa, Ole Miss to Mississippi State. It's happened in some cases. It will happen more because in the end, guys are going to look for where they think the best opportunity is for them. And it's not always finances, although we all know that's now part of the equation, too. We'll see how ETN does with Georgia. He's a talented back. There were a lot of people who spent time down in Gainesville wondering geez, can't they figure out a way to get him involved more? He seems like the most dynamic threat. Now, again, you'd hear maybe he's not as good a blocker as other guys. Maybe there's some other issues there. But on a team that needed dynamic weapons, it didn't feel like they got him the ball enough. It's also known that his brother, who plays over in Jacksonville, was kind of encouraging the idea that, yeah, you you probably should get more touches. You should probably go somewhere you should get more touches. But there were some people who thought, oh, he's going to go to Clemson because that's, of course, where the other ETN brother went. But isn't that Clemson? You know why? Because the opportunity at Clemson right now is not established and as good as Georgia. At Clemson, you step right in. You're the second ETN to go there. You've got some goodwill built up from that. But at the moment, you've also, unless he goes pro, got a guy in Will Shipley that would be ahead of you. And you don't know what he's going to do. And if he is staying you're kind of back in the same situation of not really knowing what your role is going to be. At Georgia, I think he's pretty confident. He knows that he's going to get a lot of touches. And you've seen through the years a bunch of backs from Georgia go pro and have success. Frankly, you haven't seen as many backs from Florida go pro and have success. There's some, but even the most recent example of a guy that would be someone who went to Florida and had success is Damian Pierce. And what was the story on Damian Pierce before he got drafted in the mid-rounds by the Texans? Very similar to ETN. Why didn't they use that guy more? Boy, he looks like their best back. They're not using him very much. Why don't they use him more? 
got to the NFL, made an immediate impact, immediate splash. People said, boy, sure looks like Florida should have used him more. So if you look at the two, you look at the situation, if you were wanting before you leave college to compete for something big, could you possibly justify yourself staying in Florida for another year? Again, I'm not saying this to rub any salt in the wound, but if we want these kids to care about, for example, trying to win a championship, you know that Florida schedule and you know what Florida's returning. Could you look a kid in the eye and tell him, if you stay at Florida, that'll be the thing that'll be good enough to get a team that wasn't in a bowl this year to contend for something big next year? With what we've got coming in, plus you, we're going to win 10. We're going to have at least a chance at the playoff. Could you look at that schedule and look at a kid, if we're only talking about 2024, again, I'm not talking about for the future of the program, I'm talking about right now today. Could you look at a kid and tell him, honestly, if you want to compete for the biggest prizes, you should be in Gainesville in 2024? I don't think you could look a kid in the eye and tell him that. So it turns out the place he thinks has the best set of circumstances for him to do that is Athens. And that's how it's going to be from now on when it comes to kids and sizing up their future. They're not going to be worried about how it lands in the last place. The days of kids being set up for a bunch of years by a a career at a certain school in a certain state, those will still exist, but that's not how the biggest guys are going to think. I've seen kids that I covered that benefited enormously from their affiliation with their school and the fact that they spent all their career at that one school. Absolutely have seen kids benefit from that, and some still will. But that's not how these guys think. Some of them are going to wind up falling into it backwards. They won't have thought that way. It'll just be there for them. But a guy like ETN isn't thinking, oh, man, I'm kind of burning my bridges in Gainesville. I won't be able to come back and be a beloved former Gator and you know, maybe one day have a, an insurance partnership or something in Gainesville. He's not thinking that way. That's how you might have thought 25 years ago. But kind of like the music, things change. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck today. And there was more movement in the portal over the weekend. One in particular that I got to be honest, I'm kind of scratching my head about. Again, kids have every right to do what they think is best for them. But this one, I don't quite understand how this is best for anybody. Not for the team, not for the kid. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today it is the chuck oliver show heath klein in for chuck today thank you for hanging out with us here hope you had a good holiday We'll talk to Dave Bartu. I imagine he probably had a good holiday. Scheduled to join us coming up in about, oh, 12 minutes or so. We'll check in with him. A lot of different things to talk about with Dave, get some thoughts from him. Now that all the staffing is uh, back to zero, we've got the uh, head coaches back all filled. We have one open up unexpectedly over the weekend. More on that later because it might actually have an impact on an SEC program. But we'll explain as we go. We've got plenty of time together here on the Chuck Oliver Show. I will say, though, yesterday, hey, look, in the beginning I talked about transfers and accepting the idea that kids just do not view rivalries and and what is kosher and what is not the same way that maybe you and I would have in our era. There was one transfer, though, that came down over the weekend. I got to be honest, he is a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, Not that he's doing it, but the timing of it. 
One of the big storylines, of course, of the upcoming Orange Bowl between Georgia and Florida State is that a lot of Florida State kids are not playing in the bowl game. Georgia will also have some opt-outs, but they haven't announced any of theirs yet. It's certainly expected, though, that there will be some opt-outs for Georgia as well. But most of the ones that we heard from FSU to this point were not terribly shocking. Uh, Trey Benson, the running back, wide receivers Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, the tight end, Jared Verse, the stud pass rusher, Fabian Lovett, a defensive tackle, and Akeem Dent, the safety. All of them have already said, going pro and opting out. Again, some may be a little more surprising than others, some a little higher rated in that group than others, but nobody in their right mind really thought that guys like uh, Coleman, who could be a top 5-10 to pick, or verse, we're going to play in a bowl game and run the risk of injury. It's just not what you would anticipate. They could have, but nobody's surprised. But then yesterday, right around dinner time, the word comes down Tate Rodemaker is entering the transfer portal and will not play for FSU in their game against Georgia. Rodemaker, of course, is the quarterback who was the backup to Jordan Travis, had to come in and play when Travis got hurt in that game against an FCS opponent, then got the start against Florida and did lead FSU over time to a win in that game, but himself got concussed and, of course, did not play in the game against Louisville that turned out to be a win, an ACC championship win, but a very uninspiring offensive performance that evidently spooked the committee enough to say, we can't do this. We can't put FSU with this offense In a game with Michigan, we can't do it. We think it'll be an unwatchable game, and we don't want that. We want people to watch these games. We want high ratings. We've got TV deals that are coming up that we're negotiating in the next year or so. We don't need a stinker in one of these games. So it's not just, oh, by the way, we're not going to put FSU in. It's not like you're replacing FSU with TCU. You're replacing FSU with SEC champion Alabama and Alabama-Michigan is going to draw monster numbers. It might be people hate watching for both sides, but it's going to draw monster numbers. But if FSU had won the game against Louisville and had looked really great doing it, maybe they don't have the stones to do it. Maybe they would have anyway. We can't know. But it made it possible for them to do that, in part because FSU's offense was anemic at best in that game with Brock Lynn as the starting quarterback. So if you're a maker. If you want to transfer, I understand, because as the statement his family put out pointed out, FSU has very publicly been courting transfer quarterbacks. Cam Ward out of Washington State, DJU, the former Clemson quarterback, most recently at Oregon State. FSU has been very aggressively courting transfer quarterbacks, and not just transfer quarterbacks, guys that everybody understands are only coming in to start. So if you're a Rodemaker, you know FSU does not view you as a future starting quarterback. Maybe they do view Glenn as a future starting quarterback, but that doesn't mean that the future for him is going to be 2024. Maybe they want him to get a little bit more tread on the tires, learning the system and everything else. Again, he wasn't supposed to have to play this year, period, but he was a reasonably touted recruit. So Glenn can look and say, I've got four more years after this. Rodemaker's down to two. So if one of them for sure is getting swallowed up by someone coming in as a transfer, I get it. Clearly, the staff does not view your body of work as being good enough to be their starting quarterback. They want somebody more dynamic. So hit the portal. Understood. What I don't understand is hitting the portal yesterday. What is the advantage in this? 
if you're saying, well, I mean, the portal's going to close, right? You're right. The portal's going to close. But remember how the portal works. The portal closes on January 2nd. That's to get into the portal. That's not to get out of the portal. That's to get into the portal. You can't, if you're a player, after January 2nd, three days later, say, yeah, I've changed my mind. I think I'd like a change. I'm going to jump in. You can't do that. You won't be able to transfer until after spring. There's another window after spring. But if you wanted to go somewhere and be there for spring practice, you would need to be in the portal by the second. But there's some kids who go in the portal and literally never come out. No one ever gives them an opportunity, or at least not an opportunity that they decide to take. There is no time limit on coming out of the portal. You can take months, if you want to, to find your school. All that you have to do is make sure you put your name in in time. The game is on the 30th. They've got plenty of time for Rodemaker after the game to put his name in and then see what his future might be. Which one seems more appealing? A Tate Rodemaker who would have gotten another game of starting experience and maybe shown some highlights, maybe done some good things against Georgia? Or Tate Rodemaker who hasn't played very much football to begin with and, again, was not super inspiring in that game against UF, although it's understandable. It was a road game in the SEC. He barely played. Here you are with a chance to burnish your resume a little bit with really low expectations. If you don't do great things, everybody's going to be well aware while you were out there trying to do it without your two elite receivers, without your tailback, without your tight end. So if you struggle, it's kind of understood why you're struggling. But if you make a few plays... Maybe you're more attractive. And just by virtue of having more starting experience, you're more attractive to some programs. But instead, he's not going to play in the bowl game. He's out right now. So if you're FSU, Brock Glenn better stay healthy because if anything happens to him, I don't even know where they go next for a quarterback. I'm sure there's someone on the roster who physically can play the position, but it's certainly not anybody that they ever in a million years imagined would need to play. Look, I, I always hope for kids it works out, no matter what they're trying to do. I just, I feel like Rodemaker and his family, this this choice just doesn't make sense. You're, you're not helping yourself by not playing in this game. And what you are doing is you're putting your team in maybe a tougher spot. And maybe if I'm a coach, I kind of look at it and say, geez, he had a chance to maybe start against Georgia. He turned it down because he thought he needed to be in the portal six days early. Really? I don't know if that's a kid whose judgment I trust in one of my teams. I think he may have hurt himself by doing this. I guarantee he didn't help himself. It's kind of a mystery choice. But, again, it's their choice. They've got a right to make it. Dave Bartu is scheduled to join us coming up right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
Texas family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck this week. Glad you could be hanging out with us here on a busy Tuesday. For those of you who maybe don't hear the show every single week, I am not Chuck Oliver, but there is one person who is here reliably every week on Tuesday in this window of time. And that is our friend Dave Bartu. You can check him out on Twitter. CFB Matrix is the handle there. He joins us to talk a whole bunch of different stuff around the college football world. Dave, how are you? Good morning and uh, post-Merry Christmas to you, Heath, and everybody listening out there. Yeah, certainly hope you had a, a good Christmas out there in Oregon. Dave, I'm curious for you, uh, when, when you look at the Bulls and everything that's going on right now, uh, some of these games have always been issues where we have guys that maybe – you know, don't seem super motivated, so one team plays way out of proportion to what the game would have probably been in the regular season. Uh, when, when you look at the Bulls right now, does it seem like it's gotten worse? Well, I don't know if it's better or worse. I, I know from my personal perspective, like this year, I didn't even try to, try to predict who was going to win or lose the Bulls. You know, usually I go through every year and, and, and feel that there's enough competition where it's a fun process. But with free agency and so many, you know, kids being gone, so many athletes being gone, um, it's hard to gauge the motivation. I'm actually just sitting back and watching and trying to keep track of, okay, how many guys have already left? How many guys are there? How many coaches have left? I'm trying to track the, the new pattern of free agency to try to project polls going forward. But as a fan watching them, I, I've hardly even turned the TV on because I just don't see my interest level is a lot like the athletes, not too interested in the Bulls right now. Yeah, it's kind of a shame because I've always enjoyed bowl season, but at the same time, uh, I'm just looking at some of these games. I, I kind of felt like, all right, the early games might be the games that give us a true representation of who the teams were because in the case, for example, of an FSU in Georgia, we talked about it earlier in this hour of the program, FSU has had so many absences from their team for this bowl game. They're still going to have talent. They're still going to go out there and try, but it's just a, it's a different team. You can't really know what this team is, what they feel like they can even do well with this set of players that they're going to be rolling out there. And so we'll see what that looks like. But a lot of these smaller games don't have as many opt-outs for pro reasons or portal or anything else. So it felt like maybe those games would be a little truer to how teams played. But then you look at a game like South Alabama and Eastern Michigan, it's 59 to 10. And you say, what was that? 
<laughs> right? And and you were interested in it because you had the over or the under, right? Or you had a South Alabama to win it. And, and yes, yeah, so a lot of these games might be more true to the teams they are, but you're watching six and sixteen. That doesn't move it for a lot of sports fans, right? And so I think the difficulty with the bowl season is we have had this very rapid progression out of it's great to be at a bowl into we want our playoffs to be more like the NFL and more people are just focusing now on, well, it was being the top four. Now it's going to be the top 12. And I think the bowls are kind of fading off into the sunset, not only because of the focus on the playoffs, but also because of the lack of, well, your best players are out there waiting for their new free agency contract with a different school, and they're either not playing or not motivated to play. And I am curious to see, once we get past this next two years, because, again, we've got an existing contract they've got to complete. Now they're out there trying to sell the next TV contract, and most people think it'll have more than one partner. Probably Fox will be involved as well as ESPN and so forth. So we'll see what that looks like and whether or not the Bulls continue to have their stranglehold presence that they've had on the postseason because that's been one of the problems the entire time is that everything, every design of a playoff has always been, but we have to retrofit it to fit the Bulls into it somehow. I I wonder as these Bulls start to feel less and less valuable and less and less relevant if you're going to have the sponsorship interest to support as many bowls and whether or not maybe even the biggest bowls the power bowls uh, they just kind of look and say you know what if we just play these games on campus or if we literally just bid them out year to year like the championship game if we say uh, we'll bid the semifinals just like the championship game if maybe there's more money than doing it the old traditional way of oh it'll be sugar bowl rose bowl orange bowl whatever yeah, it, you know, there, you know, maybe that would be, you know, a, a new model. And, and, and part of it too is, I think, what ESPN owns the rights to what a third of the bowls, forty percent of the bowls. So, you know, there, the, you also have that ownership effect on on the entire landscape as well. So, um, as fast as everything moves, it's, you know, I mean, this is a microwave instant oatmeal drive-through society. So, things move at a, a very, very rapid pace, often too fast. And we look back and go, man, we should have taken our time. Who really knows what it's going to look like in two years, four years, ten years uh, down the road? Dave Bartu with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Again, you can check him out at CFB Matrix. Uh, looks at things from a little bit of an analytical perspective, sees some things with the numbers that maybe people will miss. Uh, Dave, I'm curious. There's one thing that did happen over the last couple of days. It looked like all the coaches were set for the upcoming year, although you know there's always a couple of surprises. Uh, Jerry Kill said goodbye at New Mexico State, and we'll see where he winds up. We'll talk more about that later on in the program where he might be going. But I, I just wanted your perspective because, to me, the last two years for that guy at New Mexico State, what he turned them into is, is a borderline miracle, and especially to have done it just in a two-year window like that. How how much on the numbers does that speak to just how impressive that job was? Oh, it, it was – well, Jerry Kill has been on our radar for a long time. We've always considered him probably top five underrated head coaches of the last ten years, you know, even before these two years of New Mexico State. Now, I agree with you. What he did at New Mexico State is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, you know, losing him to, you know, his health issues or, or – uh, whatever it is, is, you know, it, it's too bad from my perspective because I'd love to see him uh, at a bigger school because he has elevated every program he's been at. 
he has elevated them way past uh, their talent level. And so he has put it together. He is good at staffing. Uh, and so it's, it's too bad from that standpoint. Uh, you know, one of the guys on his, uh, one of the guys on his staff, uh, Nate Greeley, uh, we think he's going to be one of the best defensive coordinators coming up in the next decade. Uh, Vanderbilt just took his offensive coordinator, who flipped the entire offense one year as well. So Jerry was a great motivator, a great staffer, and uh, and really underappreciated, uh, as far as I'm concerned, inside the numbers. And it's just largely because he's been in small schools in his life. Yeah, I mean, in Minnesota, even, you look at what he did there, it was still more impressive rebuilding that program, getting it back up that I think maybe people gave it credit for because he never was able to land that that big series of wins that got him to like 10 wins there. But still, Minnesota being good with consistency is not something to take for granted as their history shows. So dude's a heck of a coach. Uh, I, I am interested, you know, you mentioned that one of his staffers is on his way to Vanderbilt. Uh, realistically, actually multiple guys are on their way to Vanderbilt. How much could that elevate from what Vanderbilt staff rated for you last year? Um, well, you know, something they're 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 mixing up the offensive side. I have it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you seen very many defensive changes on the Vanderbilt side, or has it been all offensive changes on the Vanderbilt side? Yeah, basically their whole receiver core left. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a program that was was bottom five in total scoring efficiency in the country. Uh, the the offense, uh, I believe, was 89th. The defense was 121st. Uh, so, you know, look, Beth made made big strides in New Mexico State, taking them from 81st to 40th in scoring efficiency in one year. So I, I think Vanderbilt is, is banking on that impact. My bigger concern is, is defensively. And Clark Lee is a defensive head coach, and the entire time he has been there, Vanderbilt hasn't been able to figure it out. I don't think they've been in the top 100 of FBS defensive scoring efficiency the entire time he's been there. And, you know, look, I know they recruit at the bottom of the SEC, but they're, they're still a top 40, top 45 recruiter. Uh, you know, there's some talent there. And so as much as the offense might turn a corner and get a little bit better, my concern is still going to be can, can he produce even an average defense at Vanderbilt uh, in order for them to get competitive. Yeah, Diego Pevia, the quarterback, is is also on the move, and some people have tried to connect the dots. Hey, maybe he follows Tim Beck to Vanderbilt, but they already took the quarterback transfer from Utah, so I don't I don't know if you could take two quarterback transfers or whether or not that might uh, be a problem with what you've already promised the kid from Utah and maybe not knowing that this kid was going to come available. We'll see, but uh, just, just the idea that Vanderbilt, which is sort of the last hope conference in the SEC, is now looking and saying, eh, maybe we could, if these dudes could win at New Mexico State, maybe if we transplant that, if they could do miracles there, maybe they could do miracles in Nashville. It's at least an interesting concept. We'll see whether or not it works. We are talking with Dave Bartu. He is CFB Matrix on Twitter here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Take a look at a variety of stuff. One of the things that you also do, we talk a lot about staffing and things like that with you, but I know you also look at game situations. And so this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, Dave. It seems like these days, especially ESPN Analytics, no matter what the circumstances are, ESPN Analytics is always insisting you should go for it. Fourth and six or less, you should go for it. Um, anything short of Claymore Mines around the end zone, you should go for it. Um, in your mind, have we gotten a little too carried away with that? Um, it depends on people's point of view. 
uh, you know, because we look at it very differently. Um, when people are doing the analytics out there, and we get a lot of blowback on this when, when we say people go for it way too much, um, what they're looking at is the people that do the statistics are trying to say, look, if you go for it on fourth down in these situations, you're going to score more points. That may be true, but is scoring more points what drives a head coach? No, it's not. It's winning and losing the football game. So you may score more points, but I'll give you an example. Teams that have gone for it on fourth down and three or more in the red zone, those head coaches, you know, when the, when the game is a one-score, ends in a one-score football game, coaches that give up the field goal to, to try to get the kill shot, try to get the touchdown, they have a losing record over the last three years. They may have scored more points, but they got a losing record because when they don't convert on it, they're playing against a better team. So we're always looking at it from the standpoint of, well, what's the record of these situations? And so, you know, and you look at uh, going for two, because you know, the two-point conversion in, in, uh, in college is what, from the three-yard line, Keith? I uh, believe so, yeah. I believe so, yeah. I believe the three-yard line. So, um, ESPN, when I see that graphic up on the TV, when it says fourth and six or less, you go for it. Yet this year alone, going for two, uh, converted at a 41% rate. 41% rate, fourth and three. Basically, it's a fourth and three, and they're saying fourth and six. The the conversion rate drops every single yard significantly. I will not fault a head coach for trying to go for it on fourth and one, even fourth and two. But when you hit fourth and three in college football, even in the NFL, it's the same thing. The, the conversion rate falls right. The floor goes right on, underneath you. And so fourth and three is too much. But fourth and six, man, I, I want to throw bricks at my TV every time I see it because it's only taking into account just trying to score more points. It doesn't take into account quality of the defense. It doesn't take into account quality of offense. It doesn't take into account the field position given up uh, on a short field when it doesn't convert. So I hate seeing that number up there because fans get in their mind. That's what it should be, and I completely dismiss anything FPI and, and ESPN I, I don't like anyways. But I hate it because it creates a false narrative uh, for coaches that should be more aggressive in the fans' minds, and I'm saying they shouldn't be because you'll lose more football games doing that. That's Dave Bartu. He's CFB Matrix on Twitter. And, again, he puts a lot of time into this, spends time looking for the different mathematical angles. We'll get some thoughts from Dave on a couple of the big games coming up this weekend. Playoff time is here, so maybe he sees an angle for one of these teams that stands out. We'll get to that with Dave straight ahead. You're listening to The Chuck Oliver Show. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show chuck oliver show rolling on our regular weekly visit with dave bartu cfb matrix on twitter but He's more than just a man of numbers, a man of reason. He's a man of 
man of science. He's a man of many pursuits, including, uh, Dave, tell folks if they are maybe feeling some aches and pains after the holiday weekend, how you can help them with that. Oh, yeah. The uh, Pro Athletes Hemp Association uh, created, uh, worked on this project, created it uh, in conjunction with the NFL uh, alumni, and this is professional-grade uh, natural pain relief, uh, inflammation, arthritis, uh, anything that is achy-breaky and creaky. Uh, they have a set of topicals at hempforpro.com uh, that can probably help you out. I use this stuff every day, uh, and so do a lot of former NFL pros. So we were able to get Dave a little bit cleaner line, too, which is helpful because, Dave, uh, look, we got two big games this week coming up, the playoff with uh, Michigan and Alabama. It's interesting because, for example, The Athletic did a whole piece that said uh, every coach basically everywhere believes that Alabama's going to beat Michigan. Uh, here's why these all these coaches say it. And yet, Las Vegas, which last time I checked, is not generally in the business of giving people freebies. Vegas still has <laughs> Michigan favored by a point and a half, which means there is something clearly that they are seeing that leads them to believe it is nowhere near as clear-cut as all these coaches that the athletic talk to seem to believe it is. So I ask you, what do the numbers say? Why are they favored? Well, let's let's look at uh, my favorite number in the regular season, which is scoring efficiency, right? I mean, it's a scoreboard. It's not a yards board. So let's take a look at how good these teams put points on the board uh, or don't allow them to go on the board. And I can see Michigan being favored because they have the best numbers, man. They, they they have the number five scoring efficiency offense in the country on the season. They got the number three defense. Those are the two best numbers in the playoffs right now. So if if you said, hey, let's bet the best performing team year to date, it's clearly Michigan over everybody else. Uh, Alabama offensively is um, is number eleven in the country right now. Uh, defensively, they come into this game as 18th on defense. Statistically, the worst defensive scoring efficiency um, for for Saban since he got there year one. So, but but Alabama, you're talking about a massive recruiting gap too. Michigan came into the season number 12 in recruiting. Alabama came in number one. And so, you know, I'm looking at this game. Something's going to be broken here. Uh, in terms of my numbers, because 22 of the last 23 national title winners, they've been a top 10 recruiter. That's Alabama and Texas. Okay. 23 out of 23 have been top three in offense or defense. The only one left is Michigan. So, um, so, so something has to give in those numbers in the playoffs this year. Uh, and so I'm excited about that football game because, again, I, I've said this a few times already, is there is no team that is dominant on one side of the ball or the other. And, I mean, pick your poison with Michigan and Alabama. You have a better performing team where you have the most talented one, and you got two top five head coaches. Um, how it's going to turn out, dude, I have no idea. I wouldn't bet it. I'm just excited to see this football game. Yeah, one of the things that's so hard to get a read on with Alabama is that if you see them on the right day, you could say, wow, this team is pretty good. And if maybe you saw them play twice this year and it was USF and Auburn, you're like, come on, this team, this team's in the playoff. What are we doing here? I mean, it, it is a team that you can see the potential, particularly with a guy like Milrow. If you cannot handle some of the things he can do with his legs, then it might not matter what the other numbers look like. I'm kind of looking and I'm saying, how often has Michigan seen somebody this year who can make plays with his legs the way that Milrow can?
right. Because well, and you look at the <clears throat> you look at the Big Ten. There really isn't that kind of offense there. They they haven't been forced to play anybody like that. So you know, from that standpoint, you know, I, I would agree with you in that that's probably the biggest wild card is is Milrose legs versus this defense because it's the be- best defense in the playoffs right now, um, but they haven't had to see that kind of. Uh, that kind of scheme, that kind of athlete that can run in the big in the Big Ten this year. So, a lot of fascinating what if angles in in both of these football games. Yeah, I just I, I look at them and I just say, to me, it's a little easier for Alabama to do what Michigan does in practice and simulate it than I think it, it is for Michigan to simulate what Alabama does. But that does not mean that therefore Alabama will win the game. It just. I, I just wonder about how you do try and show some of the variables. Because, again, it's not always just on, on tape. It's just going to be sometimes Milrow's going to make a play with his athleticism that's completely unscoutable. And, and that's the thing I just don't know if they're ready for. You, you touched briefly on the other game, Dave, uh, Washington and Texas. I think there's a lot of people looking at that one and saying, well, geez, I don't know. You know, People kept insisting Oregon was going to be better than Washington, except for when they play, they never are. And then obviously Texas, we all know that Texas had this whole stretch of games where they looked vulnerable, but they didn't have that second loss that they normally pick up under Sark. So should we believe they're real or not? Uh, Texas is is probably the biggest question mark because they have the weakest unit uh, in the playoffs. You know, I I have them at number 30 in offensive scoring efficiency. Their strength this year has been the defense. Uh, their, Their defense right now, uh, coming into this is is 13th in the country. So, you know, to me, the, the weakness for Texas has been on offense. Washington is the other way around. Offensively, they're number seven. Defensively, uh, they're all the way down at number 27. So, you know, this is a matchup, a perfect matchup of strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, Washington has the best player in the playoffs right now. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, right? Because, I mean, I don't know about you. If, if you put Michael Penix on Michigan, or Alabama, or Texas, you're probably going, man, this thing's probably over, right? I mean, those that would, that would be your favorite team. At least it'd be my favorite team yep. uh, because I've been fortunate enough to see Penix right here in the backyard. But, again, you have a less talented Washington team going up against a top-10 recruiter in Texas. You know, historically, the numbers say take the talent, and that's why in these playoff yep. games I'll take Bama and Texas. Dave Bartu, folks, does a great job. We'll have him again on Tuesday. Dave, thanks for making time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Take it easy, brother. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Buck Blue here. And as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the vice president, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money 
are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.